You're listening to Two Smart Assets with Chris Thompson and Danny Nichols. This is your source for passive investing in real estate syndications. It's time for us to gain knowledge and take action. So let's go. everybody welcome back to the show this is the two smart assets podcast i am your host danny nichols here once again with my co-host chris thompson hey what's going on dan it's good to see you brother good to see you too man what a show today had a great guest a lot of good stuff tell the listeners what we're talking about okay so today we uh, spoke with brian adams he's the president and the founder of excelsior capital uh brian has extensive knowledge and experience when it comes to the best practices for strategic real estate investing uh we spoke about some of the secondary markets and some of the key metrics that are driving the demographic change. And we also dove into this the suburban office and what he thinks that space is going to look like going forward. A lot of great stuff in this episode. I mean, a lot of great stuff. Super excited to dive into that. But before we do, just want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and written review. It really helps us grow the podcast, attract more guests, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. And if you're a passive investor or looking to get into passive investing, then head over to our websites at twosmartassets.com. There you can grab our guide for passive investing in apartment syndications. Just a quick, great overview of the world of passive investing in apartment syndications. So make sure to check that out. Also, grab our apartment syndication sample deal. This is going to help you get comfortable with looking at this type of investment. So when the real opportunities come your way, you'll be ready. If you have any questions about what's in either of these resources, drop us a line anytime on our website's contact us page, or you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We're posting some great content on there, so make sure to follow us and start connecting. All right, let's jump into the show. What's going on, everybody? Today's guest is Brian Adams. Brian is the president and founder of Excelsior Capital, where he spearheads the investor relations and capital markets arms of the firm. He has 10 years of experience in real estate, private equity, and has advanced knowledge and best practices for strategic real estate investing. Brian, it's great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We're very excited to have you on the show. We know you've got a lot of expertise. So we're just going to dive into this thing, man. You know, So as real estate investors, we know it's important to be aware of what's going on in our local markets. And you know, the also, also you know, with the current economic environment. And there's a lot of crazy things going on right now, but we'll probably get to that later in the show. But uh, we know you have a lot of experience and uh, you're a smart guy, especially when it comes to investing in this space. So let's talk about demographics and you know, the shift that's kind of going on with the demographics currently and you know, what's been taking a place in this country for the last couple of years and going forward. So t- talk to us a little bit about demographics, a shift that's currently happening, and also why investors should be paying attention to these things. Sure. So demographics are destiny. And depending on where population growth is occurring, you're going to see corollaries with wage growth and job creation. And those are all really the, the fundamental drivers that underline any real estate investment. I don't care what end of the spectrum that you're, if you're on self-storage, data center, uh, apartment, retail, office, it's, it's all about where bodies are moving to and where that growth is occurring, right? So it's something that you need to pay attention to in general. And, and oftentimes, if you're an early investor, it's a really good way to make an investment thesis structure before you make tactical decisions about where you want to allocate capital to. So one of the things that we did, call it six or seven years ago, looking at the landscape around us, we started noticing that millennials are now the largest working generational cohort in American history. It's roughly 75 million people. And the way that we interpreted that from an investment thesis standpoint is 
we saw the Wall Street narrative that millennials were never going to get married, never going to have children, always going to be wearing skinny jeans and eating avocado toast and living in Brooklyn in a five-story walk-up. That was kind of the, the narrative that was put out there. But the reality is, you know, because my partner and I are millennials kind of barely qualifying, the reality is that the Great Recession pushed back that family formation phase three to five years on average. So once they got that economic underpinning underneath them, they started to get married. They started to have children. We saw anecdotally employees and affluent people leaving the Upper West Side of New York, leaving Chicago, leaving San Francisco, leaving LA. And they were making choices about where they wanted to live, work, and play based on cost of living, quality of life, access single family homes, and access education for their children. Essentially, everything that we rebelled against from our parents is what we wanted for our children, what we wanted for ourselves um, as we grew up in those suburban areas. And to that point, when you kind of put all that together, secondary markets, which we defined as a million plus population in MSA outside of the top 10 traditional gateway markets, suburban neighborhoods in those secondary markets check all of the boxes. And so we saw this boomerang effect occurring within that generation where people were returning to SEC, Big Ten, and Big 12 country. And that's why we started deploying capital to places like, at first, Nashville, Memphis, Raleigh, Tampa, Kansas City, et cetera. And we can kind of go into the specifics, but demographics are huge. And it's something that you really do need to pay attention to. I mean, let me ask you guys a question. I mean, would you invest in Midtown Manhattan right now? Negative. Negative. San Francisco, tough, right? Yeah. And so, you know, these things make a difference and, and, and it can really underpin how you want to invest in commercial real estate. Yeah, I think you make a lot of great points there. And especially, you know, when it comes to investing, when we first started getting into investing, we, we, we knew about demographics and why, you know, kind of the importance is held, but it wasn't the main focus, but really, you know, going on some of the things you're saying, this is the driving factors to what makes successful real estate investments. If you're investing in a bad market or somewhere where, you know, everybody's leaving, this is not going to work. So I think you make a lot of great points. And I just want to clarify up front, just for our listeners and everybody here, I, we also, uh, I guess, classify as millennials and I have never worn skinny jeans. Not that there's anything wrong with skinny jeans, but I have never worn skinny jeans. There's, so still, there's still time, man. Maybe, you could, <laughs> maybe 2021 is the year for you. You never know. I just, want, I just wanted to clarify that. But, uh, I understand yeah, that. You make, you make a lot of great points, man. And uh, I want to talk about, and you kind of hit on some of this uh, in the beginning of that, but uh, you know, for, our, for our new investors or people who are just trying to wrap their head really about um, demographics, what are some key metrics that they actually should be paying attention? Maybe give the top five or just something, you know, some of these real drivers are like, hey, these are the actual things. I think you mentioned jobs uh, and population, but what are the actual things that you look at to make sure like, hey, you know, I'm picking these markets. You said, you know, big, t big 10, big 12, SEC markets, you know, relate, you know, talking about football, but uh, what are some of those drivers, those actual metrics that you're paying attention to for your investments? Yeah. I mean, the biggest things for us are our population growth, which you can get through, you know, the Department of Labor, or now that we have this new census data coming out, you can sign up for all of those newsletters and you can cut through that data. It's all kind of provided for you through various federal institutions. Um, wage growth, job growth. And, you know, one of the other things that we look at that's a little bit less data driven and more qualitative versus quantitative, but what are the, what are the economies and the industries within that metro area that are driving all that growth? And, and we like to see education, healthcare, government, and then knowledge economy, which is kind of a, a big umbrella term for, you know, science, technology, STEM type uh, jobs, because 
that's where we think the economy is moving over the next 10 years are, are those knowledge economy jobs. But the reason that we like healthcare, education, government is they're counter-cyclical, that they typically can be very resilient during a downturn. And we, our number one priority for our investors is capital preservation. So I've got some kind of hardcore quantitative things that you can track, but also some qualitative issues. And, and the way that I would ask yourself is, if I was advising my child or a friend, you know, what area that they should focus on from a school standpoint or educational, these are the type of jobs that you'd want them to go into, right? Software, programming, engineering, clearly we're seeing the advance of, of big tech and that's no, not going to change anytime soon. So those are all things that you want to be aware of and, and you're seeing it play out, right? All of these headlines about people moving to Austin, well, for the most part, they're tech companies, right? And that's where the jobs are. And you start to see this cycle of employees move there because they want to live there and employers want to have a physical footprint there because access to human capital is going to be paramount for them to stay competitive in the marketplace. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, there's you make some great points there. And, and those are things, you know, we've kind of learned as we progress through our real estate investing careers. Like these are things you really got to be paying attention to, jobs and all that stuff. So with that in mind, and I know we've had a crazy year this year, a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, there's been this demographic shift that's kind of been happening, you know, for the last number of years and going on up into this year. How do you think the events of this year have affected the demographic shift that was that was already in place? Do you, or do you think it has affected that demographic shift at all? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit cliche at this point because we've been saying this for the last nine months, but it's accelerated all these trends that are already occurring right? It's just made them more acute. And so people leaving Chicago, New York, the West Coast because of, of tax issues and cost of living, this is just an inflection point that's spurring them to make that move, right? A, a catalyst for Elon Musk to say, enough already, I'm going to Texas. Or Larry Ellison to say, I'm moving to Hawaii, whatever it is. And I think what you're going to see play out over the next three to five years is unfortunately a bit of a death spiral for some of these larger metropolitan coastal gateway markets where you know the tax base leaves, so they need to increase taxes, and then they need to cut services, which just really means that the tax base is going to continue to leave. And you know, scarily for New York, where I'm from originally, once you start hearing Wall Street people say they're thinking about relocating massive parts of that industry to places like Florida or Nashville, et cetera, um, it's going to be a very challenging time for them until they can get their footing back underneath them. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you're just going to see more of these trends play out in a much quicker fashion than they would under different circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right with that and couldn't agree more. And, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, secondary markets, you know, this kind of this thing, this this influx into the secondary markets based because of this shifting demographics and also what's occurred, you know, with, uh, with COVID and all that stuff. So we're talking about secondary markets. You touched on a little, uh, a few of them before, but let's dive into a little bit more about secondary markets, you know, the real advantages beyond taxes and stuff like that. Uh, and why you're so focused on those markets right now. Is it just because of the demographics or is it just the opportunity with the real estate investments that you're actually looking into? Yeah. I mean, a part of it is the demographics. We like that from the investment thesis, we think long-term they're going to be a good place to be for the next 10 plus years of the cycle, but also it's a function of where you can find decent return, right? And so we feel like you think of things as a, on a risk-adjusted basis. And for secondary markets, historically, you know, suburban office in particular, which I can speak to, um, even though they are uh, experiencing this big uptick and you're seeing a lot of the news, you can still buy buildings at a seven cap or an eight cap, right? And you can still with leverage solve for something close to a double digit cash on cash yield, which is where we really try to focus. So part of it is where we think the market's going. And the other part is we think we can still find value in these places. 
Yeah, that's absolutely important. You got to be able to, especially if you're, you know, raising capital and trying to find deals, you got to be able to, I mean, everybody wants return on their investment, right? Absolutely. And especially if you're raising capital. So when it comes, so I want to talk about this, obviously secondary markets are important right now. There's a lot of shift towards them. They can provide a lot of benefits and you're talking about deals, but we want to talk about something that you're, uh, you and your company, uh, the Excels of your capital are really focused on right now. And that's the suburban office. So tell, talk to us a little bit about why you chose office space and then we can dive into some other stuff after. Yeah, so for context, we have a portfolio of about two and a half million square feet. It's almost entirely suburban office in these secondary markets that I just kind of rattled off and, and cities similar to that. And we originally got into that business because we saw it as an inefficient marketplace where a lot of our peers and competitors were doing multifamily or they were doing retail. And and for us, we looked at the, the marketplace and we looked at where pricing was. And to my point earlier, we felt like we could still buy things on a decent per square foot basis and also a decent in-place cap rate business. And, and that's really a function of what our cost of capital is, which you know we work with individuals, family offices, independent RIAs, and they're trying to solve for yield. That's the pain point that we're trying to take care of for them. And so without taking on too much leverage, without going too far out on the risk spectrum, um, office was kind of the best risk adjusted return that we could get. You know, it was kind of an underserved asset class in many ways. And a lot of our investors didn't have access to good institutional quality co-investment opportunities. So it was just part of where we thought we could get the best risk-adjusted return, but also where we thought that our investor base was underserved because we didn't want to just provide them with more of the same type of deals that they saw and get into that competition. So that's why we chose Office originally. You know, it's an interesting space and, you know, there's a lot that goes on there. And most most of the, you know, the, the people that we talk to, investors, they focus on multifamily, you know, the, the main type of things here. So having this off, talking, having this conversation about suburban office and, and all that, it's actually, it's pretty, um, pretty educational for us as well. So I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of what's transpired over the last, you know, number of months with in terms of office. So we know, you know, coming into 2000, a lot of real estate asset classes were doing quite well and I'm assuming uh, office as well. Um, in terms of what's happened with COVID and, you know, we got a lot of work from home orders, stuff like that. Have you seen this really affect, uh, you know, the long-term kind of outlook for office going forward? Yeah, so I'll touch on kind of the near-term impact and then I'll, I'll transition to long-term. Near-term, obviously, it's a very challenging space to be in, right? I mean, a lot of people are under some kind of stay-at-home order or they're bunkered in. Not everyone is back. The numbers that you hear, I think, are, are very hard to gauge whether or not they're true about how many people are in the office or not. And I think it's very, very much local and regionally dependent. But pre-COVID, Roughly 4% of the American workforce worked remotely, which is an important distinction to make between work remote and work from home. They're two different things. Clearly, in a post-COVID world, with all of the developments that have made and techno technological advances, more than 4% of the workforce is going to be working remotely. Um, do I? That being said, I really don't think it's going to be a secular decline like we've seen in, in retail because... You know, the work from home experiment for the most part, it was really good for the first two or three months. And then we started to see the same thing that played out when people tried to do this back in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Every 10 years, this becomes kind of in vogue to try. It was lack of productivity, lack of creativity, burnout, and deficiencies because there wasn't enough collaboration. And, and how do you maintain a corporate culture when everybody is talking through Zoom? How do you onboard a new employee when everyone's working through Zoom? How do you run an international corporation when everyone's talking through Zoom? I think it's a very challenging place. So I think the way we use office will change. I can envision a world where people are in the office three days a week as opposed to five days a week, which is a about what the polls and the uh, all the kind of anecdotal evidence suggests 
that people still like the flexibility, but they like to be able to leave work at work sometimes and, and get away from, from home. Not everybody has a home office. Some people have roommates, some people have children. It's a very challenging thing to do. Um, and so I think you'll see more flexibility and more of a hybrid hub and spoke model where instead of just having one big mega mothership office in New York or Chicago or LA, you'll start to see that spread out across you know five to 10 secondary markets offices that are close to where the employees are living. And also, I think important to understand that over the last 10 years, we saw this massive trend towards densification, what we call the WeWork effect, where traditional office layout is roughly 350 square feet per user. That's a kind of traditional close your door office setup. In some of these WeWork locations and co-working spaces, you were down to 75 square feet per user. And I don't care where we are with the vaccine. I think for the next five or 10 years, people are not going to want a hotel. They're not going to want a hot desk. They're not going to want to cluster into these huge cubicle farms. They're going to want more space. And the office will become really a place where creativity and collaboration occur with bigger kind of shared use conference rooms and that kind of thing. So I don't think it's the death of office. I do think it will be a a permanent part of our professional careers, but I think the way we use it will change. Now, in the near term, what we've seen across our portfolio is, as you would anticipate, muted new leasing and and you know a lack of kind of lease renewal activity and the lease renewals and the new leases that we have done have mostly been kind of hey let's just do a two or three year deal we'll do a carpet and paint as opposed to a huge build out or a long term and we'll kind of see where we are because i think even employers who have experimented with the work from home, et cetera, they're all kind of waiting to see how this plays out. And so it's a very challenging place. I know for us, underwriting a new suburban office property right now and assigning lease probabilities is a challenging undertaking. So we're going to kind of press pause there for the next 12 to 24 months. Interestingly, outside of these major metros where you're seeing some real distress in the marketplace, Pricing has actually gone up since COVID. If it's a well-located building, it's got good credit tenant, they haven't asked for rent relief, cap rates have gone down. So there continues to be huge appetite for this product. Just for us right now, we're kind of pressing hold. We're doing some industrial, doing some triple net and some other options. We're still big believers in office. We think it's a challenging place right now to understand where pricing is. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was kind of curious to hear about that, you know, and kind of your thoughts about acquisitions going forward, if you're still going to look into that, because, you know, things are challenging right now. And it's funny, I actually read an article the other day. It was it was talking about the future of, of office space and kind of how, uh, just going to what you're saying, you know, going to these secondary markets, less of the high rise office type stuff, more of the garden style variety office space just just based on you know having more space and not being in a cubicle or you know having elevators and people you know crossing paths there and all this other stuff so i i think it's going to be very interesting to see how this um this niche transitions going forward so very excited about that and another thing that i think people don't talk about much is um you know even if you are downsizing how much square footage you need as an office user you're still going to be dealing with some form of density and you still have to park it and suburban office is one of the few product types where it has good parking ratios, kind of three, four, five per thousand square feet, because in most of these secondary markets, wonderful places to live, Nashville is a great example, zero public transportation. And so people are driving to these places. And so a big consideration for employers that are looking to you know, relocate some of their office usage, parking is a really big issue. And you talk to leasing brokers the number one question they get, parking. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I totally agree with that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how this goes, how this, you know, kind of pans out going forward. And, you know, with with the this office and, you know, you guys are, you know, in the office space and 
all that. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how this plays out, you know, cause we look at multifamily, we look at all these other things and we want to be a part of different, you know, asset classes and, and touch on those. So when it comes to this office space, I'm, I'm very interested because we know a couple of other of companies who have, who've invested in, or investors who invested in, you know, large office spaces and kind of what you're saying, they're not really having any issues with uh, getting them leased up and, and all these things, but it's in certain markets. It's none of these big markets, you know, the, the smaller markets, the secondary markets. And I think that's, that's pretty important. Actually, for most of our investments, uh, whether it be multifamily or anything like that that we look at, it, it's usually secondary. It has been secondary markets just based on the fact of price points, you know, looking on returns, kind of the things you were, that you were talking about. But, um, and it goes the same with, you know, parking and all that stuff. It's just about density. A lot of the places that we've been looking at have been less dense. Just, it, it's just always been that way. Uh, it probably didn't start out that way on purpose. It was just one of those things like investing in our own backyard. Uh, but anyway, so curious to see how this office space things uh, pans out going forward. What in terms of in terms of like uh, messages to your passive investors? I know you're raising capital and doing all this stuff. Message to to your passive investors. You know they're probably you know thinking like, hey man, we love this space. We want to you know get some more knowledge on this. What are you telling your passive investors right now? Yeah, I mean for the most part, we've been fortunate enough to be able to make quarterly distributions, um, and we haven't had too many rent relief requests. And the ones that we have, we've been able to manage through. So we've been very fortunate. But that also goes to this concept that you know most of my lease terms are three, five, seven, maybe ten years long. And if they're in good standing, they're paying their 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 rent even if they aren't fully utilizing the space. Base. So trying to prognosticate what will happen in an entire industry or asset class in five or 10 years, I think is just really challenging because unlike multifamily where you're essentially releasing every year or maybe every six months or hotels where you're releasing every day, office is a little bit more static. And so the message I give to my investors is, hey, when I told you originally you're investing in this, you should assume a 10-year hold. That hasn't changed at all. And we are doing the best that we can to give you real-time information about what's going on with the asset itself. But I don't think that's fundamentally changed. You should kind of reassess the investment on maybe an annual basis. Because anything shorter than that, you know, we don't have a scoreboard every day. Um, it's very challenging to make knee-jerk reactions in office because it's supposed to be a long-term hold. That's kind of the nature of the investment. And I think one of the best parts about what we do is the fact that you can't just sell, right? Because there's no near-term liquidity options. And if there were, in April or May, we would have sold at huge discounts where now the portfolio, we're probably 95% plus occupied, probably 95% rent collection. We've been able to pay a hefty dividend. It would have been foolish to do so six months ago. So I just tell people, stay with the plan. We were very conservative on our underwriting. Our basis is low. We have heavy cash flow and good cash reserves. You know, leasing activity has picked up recently, which has been good. News with the vaccine coming out, you know, I think will continue to be good over the next six plus months. But just wait and assess things on an annual basis at the near term. Yeah, I love to hear that, especially as pass as a passive investor. You know, we're passive investors, so we love to hear that type of you know great communication and that breakdown. You know, just you know, under having the real understanding of this is how these things work. It's a long term hold. Um, you know, this is what we bought into, and then the fact that you know you really focused on doing conservative underwriting at the beginning. I mean, that's the point of all of this, right? I mean. <laughs> having that due diligence up front to make sure when things like this happen, I don't mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming really, but uh, things like
like this happening, you're going to be okay. And it's a long-term hold and all those things. So I think that that communication is great, man. We love to hear that, especially as passive investors. So Brian, man, you know, this has been a great conversation. I've learned a lot about the, the office space and, you know, kind of the future of it and what that's going to look like going forward. But uh, we, before we get out of here, we want to take some time and shine the spotlight on you. So tell us what you're going to have, what you have going on, maybe about your newsletter, your company, whatever you got, man. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. Um, Thank you. So people can reach out to me. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, so you can look me up, Brian C. Adams, Excelsior Capital. Drop me a note. I'm happy to uh, set up a call with you if you send me a message. And then you can go to the website, excelsiorgp.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. We send out kind of a monthly missive about what we see in the market, what we think is going to happen. And then we've been creating a lot of content, um, not just about what we do or office in general, but just try to be a resource for people. So we put out a lot of blog pieces, webinars about different asset classes, different commercial real estate, um, you know, finance in general. So encourage you to look us up, subscribe and, and reach out if you want to learn more. I just want to say something real quick to that. We actually connected on LinkedIn and I got to say, uh, you're putting out some great stuff on there, man. The content you guys are putting out, uh, it's 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 great. I, I mean, I read every post, all that stuff. You guys are doing some good stuff on there. So we highly encourage all of our listeners to connect with Brian uh, on LinkedIn, but uh, we'll make sure to uh, put all that stuff in the show notes, your contact information, your company website, all that stuff. It'll be in the show notes. So, but uh, Brian, man, it's been a great conversation. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Fun. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.